Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for another of our online Sunday services. If you've been watching with us before, then hello again and welcome back. And if this is your first time, then you too are very welcome with us. My name is Keely, and together with my husband, Simon, we lead the team here at Riverside Vineyard Church in Whitstable. This weekend would have seen lots of us travelling to Stenning, to Big Church Day Out and then wildfires. And it's really sad that we're not going to be able to be there together to celebrate and worship, especially when the weather is set to be amazing with not a drop of rain in sight. Oh, how I wish this was the year we were camping. However, it's moving online and there's going to be some great stuff going on for everyone to join in with, even if you never bought a ticket. So straight after this service at 12 o'clock, Big Church Day Inn, as they're now calling it, um, will be streaming worship from lots of your favourite artists and bands from across the world, from their own home. And that's going to be on their YouTube channel, the Big Church Day Out YouTube channel. And Wildfires uh, has lots of kids and youth and adult content going on too. And I've posted on our Facebook page and there were some links in the email I sent out this week. So if you want more details, do go there and have a look. Next week is Pentecost Sunday and as part of our online service we will have the joy of listening to a specially recorded sermon for all vineyard churches from Eleanor Mumford. John and Eleanor planted the very first vineyard in the UK over 30 years ago uh, and now they travel internationally to support vineyards across the movement. So we look forward next week to lots of stories uh, and encouragement from Eleanor in the way she does it. We're now going to move into a time of prayer, which will be led by Martin, and then a time of sung worship led by Mark and Rachel. And then after that, Jacob is going to continue our sermon series in Philippians. As we start prayer today, let's pause and focus our attention on God. And as we listen to the sound of the waves gently lapping on the shore, let us remember and give thanks for his constant and unending love breaking over us. As we enter another week of lockdown, I ask the question, am I thriving, surviving or drowning? For many, if not most of us, we can at times feel as though God is far away that he doesn't see our pain or hear our groaning. But as I reflect on my current circumstances, I'm reminded that here in the UK we have the support of our government, an amazing health service and other organisations that seek to ensure we are cared for. In many parts of the world this is not the case. Not only are people and families struggling with the effects of the pandemic, but their government isn't able to support them and in some cases are even actively discriminating against their own citizens because of their faith. Open Doors, a Christian charity who seek to support persecuted Christians around the world, have remained active in these times. They are an organisation we as individuals and as a church partner with in prayer as well as practical and financial support. Their latest update, which is on their website, 
give us an insight into what has been happening in Asia. In India, local partners have provided about a thousand families with vital aid and are preparing to help thousands more. One local believer who has been staying alone in her village shares how the food aid came as an answer to prayer. There have been many more stories of God's provision at this tough time and large families especially struggle to ensure there is enough food. In Bangladesh, Open Doors have helped about 850 families and are preparing to support another 2,000. But when reports say a million garment workers have been laid off, many more families are in great need. Christians, especially those from Muslim backgrounds, have been the victims of discrimination when relief has been distributed, as the authorities often think Christians can get a lot of support from foreigners. In some areas of Asia, Christian health workers have also been discriminated against during the distribution of PPE, so local partners have also been helping to provide these vital resources. The lockdown has also impacted the farmers' ability to harvest their crops, which in turn impacts their income, which makes it more difficult for them to support their families. So today, there are many in this world who would identify with the words of Psalm 40, which says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help, you are my deliverer. Do not delay, O God. Thank you, God, that even though we find ourselves in the midst of very difficult times, you are the firm and secure anchor in this storm. I choose to remember your promises and to keep hold of them. Thank you, God, that as your word says, you think of us individually, you care for us, you provide for us and that we are always on your mind. Thank you God 
that you know me when I'm poor and needy spiritually, emotionally or physically. Thank you God that you are my help and my deliverer. Thank you God for the work of open doors. Give them wisdom, stamina and the resources to continue to provide essential and ongoing support to those in need. We pray protection over every worker and their family who are involved in bringing relief, support and encouragement to those who need it. And may we, who are abundantly blessed, seek to play our part in partnering with you and them in this work. We pray for those believers in Asia who, as they struggle with this pandemic, must also keep their faith a secret from their friends and families. We ask God that they will know your presence and comfort and that you will be especially close to them. And closer to home, I remember now those friends, family and neighbours who are also in desperate need of rescue. We remember those who are apart from loved ones, distant from friends. Thank you that there is nothing in all of creation, not even coronavirus, that is able to separate us from your love. We remember and give thanks to all those who work in our health service, the caregivers and those who support the vulnerable, the sick and the dying. For those who provide essential services, those who keep our society fed, provide our utilities, transport and technology, for our emergency services and for all those who are serving our community, we thank you God. And we also remember all the scientists around the world who are relentlessly working on a vaccine. Give them success, we ask. And as the psalm reminds us, do not delay, O God. Thank you, God, that through these times we are seeing the best of humanity shining through. We are seeing your church being your hands and your feet to the community. A church that may be distant, but is still very much present. Virtual, but still connected. Apart, yet still helping. Strengthen and equip every believer to be carriers, not of COVID-19, but of something even more contagious, the good news of Jesus. As I listen once more to the sound of the waves, wash over me, I pray. Engulf me with your love. Refresh me. Fill me again with your spirit. And let my heart now overflow with worship. Good morning. Last week, we started this new series looking at Philippians, which we've called E.G. Following Jesus in Philippians. And this series, we're going to be looking at the examples of how to follow Jesus set out in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And if you were watching last week, you would have seen the Bible project at the start. 
summarise the context behind the book of Philippians. And it is brilliant. The Bible Project is brilliant at showing the context and explaining what's happening behind the letter. But if you weren't uh, with us last week, just a very uh, quick summary. Paul is currently in prison. He's actually probably on house arrest in Rome. Or some would argue that he's in a proper prison in Ephesus. But he's probably under house arrest that he was under for two years in Rome. And being in this place in house arrest, many churches have decided to look at the book of Philippians um, during our lockdown. And they've called it the lockdown letters. We'd already uh, planned to to look at Philippians before this lockdown at this point. So clearly uh, the, the spirit has been moving us into looking at this at this time. But let's as, as we look at this letters together, think of Paul, who is in house arrest that he's been under for two years in, as, as you'll come to find out, house arrest that is a lot more intense than our lockdown. But nonetheless, we can relate to the idea of him being in house arrest. And last week, Simon started by talking about the start of this letter. The start of this letter where Paul thanks uh, those in Philippi for the gifts that they sent to him whilst in prison. And uh, Paul tells them, the, the Philippians, that he loves them and that he is praying for them. So we find ourselves this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul talks about his situation in prison. And this is what they want to hear. This is what the Philippians are so eager to hear. They clearly love him. They sent him presents. They um, really want to know how he is doing. And this is what they're about to find out, how he is doing in this passage we are looking for, uh, looking at this morning. So the plan, if it's okay with you, is that we're going to unpack what Paul is saying in these few verses. And then we're going to look at what God might be saying to us as we look at what he was saying to the Philippians. So let's pray before we read this passage together. Father, I pray that your spirit will speak to us this morning, that as we read the letter to the Philippians, we will hear you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles um, with you this morning, that would be really helpful. Uh, We're going to be sticking fairly close to uh, the passage this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, if you open up with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And it says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, 
but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel, and the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you um, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Your Bible might split this passage that we read into three sections. But actually, I want to suggest that actually there's two main sections in this passage. The first section is verses 12 to 18. And I've titled this Chains for Christ. And the second section is verses 19 to 26, which is about life or death. So we're going to look to start off with at Chains for Christ at verses 12 to 18. And right at the start of this, it's clear that Paul is surprisingly positive and optimistic. Probably had an optimism that wouldn't have been shared by those reading in Philippi. Those in Philippi would be thinking, what is going to happen to Paul? Will he die? All of this just for the cause of the gospel. See, Paul was in on trial. He was in house arrest whilst on trial and they knew that there was a high possibility that he could be executed as a result of this trial. So those were their questions. What is going to happen to Paul? Is this all happening just for the cause of the gospel? And both of these points, Paul's um, focus is completely different. His question is not what is going to happen to me? But instead, his question is, how is the gospel, how is the gospel cause going to be affected by what happens to me? And his answer was that actually the gospel cause was being advanced because of his situation. Verse 12, we read, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The readers who clearly loved Paul, they would have been expecting him to start with chatting about how he's holding up, how he's doing in prison, how he's, um, how he's finding it and, and 
him talking about the struggles of being on this house arrest. But instead, Paul's focus is not on himself, but his focus is on how God is being glorified. His situation was rubbish. Not only was Paul in lockdown for two years, and let's hope that we don't have to be in lockdown for two years, but not only that, but he would have been chained even in his own home to guards. There would be guards that are on a rotor that were chained to him. And he would have probably been being, uh, often would be beaten up by these soldiers. And he would have been laughed at and they would have been rude to him. And this was his life. Constantly, day after day, chained in his house to two soldiers and they would have been brutal to him. His situation was rubbish. And he also knew that he was awaiting this trial to be executed. And all of this was in place just to stop Paul from spreading the gospel. What he felt was his purpose in life, to spread the gospel, had all been put on hold whilst he was being bound up and put in chains. And it would be easy to look at this situation as Paul or as someone in Philippi and and look at it and say, actually, Satan's having his way. But in this very situation, in a situation where he was bound, this situation had become stepping stones for the early Christians to understand and deeper appreciate God's redemptive truth. And it gave them courage in defending this truth. Romans 8 verse 28 says that God makes all things work together for good. And if we believe this, then it doesn't mean that, um, that God wants us to suffer. It doesn't mean that God, um, God wants us to go through the death of a family member or a friend. It doesn't mean that God wants coronavirus to spread and become as big a pandemic as possible. But what it means is that in every situation... God will make good come out of it. Keely sent us an email out a couple of weeks ago. And this email was a link to a blog post from Pete Gregg, which he called Something is Stirring in the UK. And if you haven't read it yet, I really encourage you to take a look at it because it is something that is so encouraging about what God is doing right now during coronavirus in the UK. But I'm just going to have a very short, give you a very short summary of what Pete is saying. In this post, Pete points out different ways that God is moving in this rubbish situation. He mentions amazing statistics about the numbers of people going to church, albeit virtually. He mentions young people that are turning to prayer. He mentions the UK blessing going viral and the, the country seeing Christians from all around the UK sing over them a blessing from scripture. He mentions the positive media and the surge in the sales of Bibles and the church uniting together to help the vulnerable and help those struggling financially. And one of the things I loved about Pete's uh, post is that he doesn't pretend that in this situation that we're in, these things feel like massive wins. He doesn't pretend that, do you know what, it's all worth it then. He doesn't pretend that 
um, that these rubbish things aren't happening and they aren't the focus of our lives right now. But what he says, what he makes clear is that even though we're in these painful times, there are small victories that give us hope that God is moving even now. And it is a sign of what is to come. Paul had been bound. Paul had been chained. He'd been stopped from spreading the gospel. But the word of God could not be bound. The word of God could never be bound. Throughout scripture, every attempt of Satan to bound God's people, God turns it into an opportunity to show that the gospel will never be bound. Joseph was cast into a pit and sold to slavery, but God uses him to save nations that he would be known. Israel were pursued by Pharaoh's army and a moment later you hear them sing a song of triumph. Job was deprived of his children and of all earthly things, but arrives with a deeper insight into God's wisdom and praises him. Peter and John were imprisoned, but out of that became bolder than ever in proclaiming Christ. And Jesus was crucified on a cross. And by that very means of the cross, he gained victory over sin, over Satan and over death. The Bible shows us that often the thing that follows being bound, the thing that follows these challenging times is victory and spiritual awakening. Maybe Pete Gregg has a point when he says something is stirring in the UK. And then Paul goes on to make a point that even the guards that are chained to him, even the guards that are chained in his house to Paul were under the knowledge that Paul was chained for Christ. They were struck by his patience. They were struck by his courage. They were struck by his loyalty to God. Paul may be in prison. Paul may be stopped from travelling all over the place to share the good news. But God used the fact that the soldiers had no choice but to be chained to him. No choice but to listen to what he has to say. God used that situation to advance the gospel. To advance the name of Jesus Christ. That Christ would be the talk of the town through the soldiers that were bound, that were binding Paul. That were stopping Paul from spreading the good news. Those guards would be the ones to spread the name of Jesus. And if this wasn't enough, then also Paul's imprisonment was giving confidence to the churches the churches in Rome that Paul had previously set up, it had given them confidence to go and tell people about Christ. And Paul was so confident in these things that he was so confident that his imprisonment was spreading the gospel, that for him it was good that he was in this place of suffering. The few verses after this, Paul goes on a bit of a tangent. He makes a comment about how some who are preaching the gospel 
are doing it just to enhance their own reputation. But what he concludes is that he is happy that the gospel is being preached. The gospel cannot be bound even when people abound. In this whole of the first section, it's clear that Paul is focusing so much more on the bigger picture of what God is doing than he is focusing on his own personal circumstances. In fact, he hardly even mentions his own circumstances. And in this second section, as we move on to this second section, verses 19 to 26, where we look at life or death, you'll notice that he starts to talk a little bit more about himself, but only to explain how it is that he can focus on the bigger picture, how he can focus on what God is doing, rather than focusing on his own personal uh, situation. So the second section I'm calling a question of life and death. And Paul starts this second section how he finished the first. He starts it by rejoicing. He makes it clear that what is to come, what you're about to read, is an explanation of how he can rejoice. How he can rejoice even in his own circumstances. He explains that his confidence, uh, he explains that he has confidence that his current woe, his current situation, his current, um, his current circumstance will result in success. And what is success for Paul? That Christ will be magnified more than ever in his life. That for Paul is the highest good. That for Paul is the epitome of success, that Christ will be magnified in his life. The most successful thing for Paul is not that he would be released. It's not that he would find comfort. It's not even that he would manage to beat up the guards and escape like uh, a, a series like prison break. But it's about God being glorified. And how is he going to do that? How is he going to manage to get to this point where God will be glorified? Well, he needs help. Paul says that he will do it through prayer and through the spirit, the Holy Spirit being with him. Even strong-willed Paul knew that he could not do this on his own. He knew that he needs people praying for him and he needs the Holy Spirit to give him courage. He explains this mindset in verse 20. He says that his biggest anxiety, he makes it clear that his biggest anxiety is that he would not honour God in his life. And he's most likely talking about being worried about the temptation of taking the easy way out of his imprisonment by denouncing the teachings of Jesus. But he wants courage to honour Jesus in life or even if it takes him to death. He would rather honour God in dying than he would dishonour God in life. Why? Why is that? Why so extreme? Why would he rather honour God in living than dishonour him? Uh, honour God in dying than dishonour him in living? Why is it so extreme? Well, he explains it in the next verse, which I think is the most 
challenging verse for me in the whole of Paul's letters, probably in the whole of scripture. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying that if I'm alive, then it's all for Christ. Not living partly for God, not a hybrid of living for God and living for me. No, to live is Christ. Every decision I make for Christ, everywhere I go, I go for Christ. In every single situation of life, I do it for Christ. But Paul, what about living comfortably? But Paul, what about your suffering? You're going through so much. But Paul, what about your desires? I live for Christ. I suffer for Christ. I desire Christ. And in desiring to live for Christ, Paul's focus in absolutely everything is how am I glorifying God and advancing his kingdom. That's why even in his own rubbish circumstances, he was able to rejoice. Paul was more worried about glorifying God and advancing his kingdom than he was about anything else, about even his own life. What would it look like for us, for our focus of absolutely everything in our life to be that we are glorifying God? Acts 20 verse, uh, verses 20 to 20, uh, verses 22 to 24 says this. And now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And as Paul writes this, that he explains two things that are important in his life, two things that he wants to achieve in his life. Firstly, he wants to complete the task set aside, set before him. And what he states after this is that this task that he has set is to testify the good news of God's grace. And it's not too different from all of our tasks Our task, as we uh, did a series on it a few months ago, to make disciples of all nations. We all have different callings and purposes, different areas in our life where we are to go about on this task to make disciples. But we are all called to make disciples. And the second thing that Paul wants to achieve in his life is he wants to finish the race. Paul was able to live for Christ because his focus was on the finish line. His focus was on eternity. Paul lived his life knowing that at some point he would be stood in front of the Father. And his choices in this life would determine what was to come. He lived in anticipation of that moment. 
in anticipation of being face to face with the Father. He lived to please God. I don't know about you, but I am a massive procrastinator. Last year, when I was writing my dissertation, I would get distracted over and over and over again. If people were playing volleyball outside, I'd be the first one to leave the library and go join. If I heard the ice cream man come by and I don't even like ice cream, I would use that as an excuse to leave the library, run down to the ice cream van and just watch other people eat ice cream. Whatever was uh, a possible distraction, I would grab at it. But what I realised after months and months and months of procrastinating, that I'd suddenly made Uh, I'd suddenly made it that I would have to spend the last week of writing my dissertation doing an all-nighter after all-nighter after all-nighter after all-nighter. I had no concept of, of what the future consequences would be for focusing on the right here, right now. But Paul's focus was not on now. It was on the finish line. His focus was on what is to come. And often we can live our lives a little bit like how I went about my dissertation. Our focus could be so much on how much pleasure can I get right now? How much can I enjoy right now? And we ignore the future. We say, I really want to live life to the full, live these 100 years as much with as much pleasure as possible, without thinking of the millions and millions and millions of years of eternity that will take place after these 100 years. And then only when it's too late do we realise that we didn't even get the pleasure that we longed for in these 100 years. And that if we were focused on the millions and millions and millions years that were to come, we actually would have even enjoyed these 100 years more. Paul lived a life with his eyes on the finish line. His focus was on eternity. Paul knew that if he lived for Christ, then dying would only be again. Because when we die, we will be with God eternally. We will get the rewards for living a life for him. Paul knew this so well that he said, well, if I'm to live, well, it's better for you guys because I'll be spreading the gospel. But to be honest, if I die, then brilliant, because I get to be with Jesus. Paul was staring death in the face. He was awaiting a trial, but he had no fear of death. In fact, selfishly, he probably would have just said, I'd rather go. He was so excited for his reward for eternity. But God still had a plan for his life on earth to spread the gospel. He was still needed. If he was going to live, he was going to live for Christ. And when I was studying this passage, I was thinking to myself, what is it that stops us from being able to truly, truly say to live 
for me is Christ and to die is gain. What is stopping me from every single aspect of my life, everything in my life, living for Christ, focusing on Christ? For some people, the things stopping them getting in the way would be doubt. Doubt that God loves you or doubt that God even exists. Doubt that maybe you're just wasting your time. For some people, it's temptation. Temptation of popularity or of sin. For some people, it's fear. Fear of others or fear of failing. For others, it's individualism or idols. It's the what gives me pleasure now. And as I was reflecting on this, the things that get in the way for us to be able to say that I'm truly, truly living for Christ. I thought, how different would my life look if absolutely everything in my life, my focus was on living for Christ? How different would my relationships with people be? How different would I spend my time? How different would I spend my money? For me, I think deep down what it is, is inner doubt. Doubt that creeps up so often, that whispers to me, what if you really decide to live fully, 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 fully for Christ in every area and you just end up wasting your time? That's what it is for me. But I really believe that for loads of us, there is something that would be holding us back from being able to live for God wholeheartedly for living for God in every situation of our life and God's grace means that even though we have this thing holding us back even though we often live in a hybrid of living for God and living for ourselves even though um, we we are fighting God so often he still loves us and we can still have a relationship with him because of Jesus dying on the cross But he also gives us, through his grace, he gives us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. And that spirit can give us courage that we can give our doubt to him, that we can give our temptation to him, that we can give our fear to him. That these things will not get in the way of us living wholeheartedly for God. So what does it look like to be able to say to live is Christ? Well, Paul shows us that it is putting the task that God has given you above everything else in your life and running the race, fixing your eyes on the finish line. Paul's personal circumstances were rubbish, yet he rejoiced because God was using them to further the gospel. The idea of putting... uh, of of suffering for the gospel can feel alien to us for the idea of putting ourselves in Paul's place where he's chained up for the gospel can be so alien but for so many Christians around the world today this is an everyday reality that doing the task that God has given them to make disciples of all nations choosing that takes accepting your own personal suffering and setting aside all of your personal desires. Like Paul, many are imprisoned for their faith, put on trial for their faith and even killed for their faith. 
This decision to live for Christ really does mean laying aside their own life. But they come to this conclusion that he is worth it. That eternity with him is worth it. They have no choice to be half-hearted followers of Jesus. They either risk their lives following him or they live for themselves. But they focus on eternity. I want to encourage you this morning to reflect on whether you could look at your own life and say, I am living for Christ. But give yourself grace. We're not perfect. We mess up. But bring those things that cause us to stumble to God and dream with God. Dream with God about what it would look like, what your life would look like if you lived fully for him. If your sole purpose in life was to complete the task that he has set before you and finishing the race. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have so much grace. Thank you for your son dying on the cross that that we can know that victory follows trials. But Lord, I pray that you help us to, through your spirit, to live fully for you. Lord, the thing that's holding us back from living fully for you, maybe temptation, doubt, fear. Lord, I just pray that you enable us to give that to you, Lord. We don't want it. Lord, we want to live fully for you. We desire, we long to live for you. So Lord, I pray that you help us to give it to you, to live for you, to lay down our life for you. Lord, thank you for Paul and thank you for the lessons in Paul. Thank you for how wholeheartedly he followed you and how he cared about what you were doing more than even his own personal circumstances. Father, I just pray that your spirit will be with us as we go about trying each day to live fully for you until we will be with you in eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.